The scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 and 15 and 16. Let us listen to the word of God. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face and said, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, 
As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations, kings of people shall come from her. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson comes to us from Mark chapter 8. Verses 31 through 38. Let us listen to the word of God. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord.
we're at the point in Mark's gospel where the disciples have witnessed Christ do the unimaginable. In fact, they've seen Jesus do an amazing amount of miracles so far. He's healed the sick, he's cured the deaf, he's walked on water, he's made the mute speak. Jesus fed 5,000 people from just five loaves of bread and two fish. At the beginning of Mark chapter 8, which we read just the last part, Jesus feeds 4,000 from seven loaves of bread, another crowd of people. And just a few verses before our reading, a blind man comes to Jesus, and this is actually quite significant to the reading we have today. It takes Jesus two times until he's actually able to see properly. And the first time, Jesus puts saliva on the blind, blind man's eyes, and he He puts his hand on him and prays for him, and Jesus asks him what he sees. And his response is, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. And then comes the second attempt. Jesus lays his hands on his eyes again. And this time, the blind man's sight is completely clear and completely restored. Got that? Jesus' first attempt, the blind man doesn't see clearly. But Jesus' second attempt, his sight is restored and he sees everything clearly. Right after this, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he quizzes them, wondering who they think the Messiah is. And Peter answers right on the money, you, Jesus, are the Messiah. Now when Peter says that he's the Messiah, they have been waiting for another King David who would rise up militarily, lead an army to defeat the mighty Roman Empire, saving the Jews from oppression and strife and bring about peace. We know this because of what Peter does. He rebukes Jesus when he hears that Jesus will suffer and die. That's not the Messiah he's been waiting and hoping for his entire life. Essentially, Peter's like the blind man upon Jesus' first attempt. And he can't see Jesus, the Messiah, for what he truly is. So Jesus rebukes Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on, not on divine things, but on human things. It's as if Peter needs a second and jarring wake-up call. Get behind me, Satan in order for Jesus to see clearly as the suffering Messiah. And just as the blind man before, the second attempt Jesus does is the only way Peter sees Jesus clearly. Of course, it's not just Peter who does this. I don't know about you, but I don't see things often very clearly either. One pastor tells about a trip he took to the Grand Canyon years ago. While hiking with his wife, Parker Palmer noticed large numbers of children messing around, playing dangerously close to the canyon's edges. While later, Palmer relayed his experience to a park ranger. I I told him I was baffled by the parental neglect. The ranger shook his head and said, I'm not sure it's outright neglect. Surprising number of folks think of the canyon as a theme park, a fantasy land that may look dangerous, but isn't, where hidden nets will save you from injury or death. Every day I have to remind some people that the canyon is 
real. And so are the consequences of a fall of hundreds of feet. He says, I guess some people prefer illusions to reality, even though illusions can kill you. Palmer continues by saying, we Americans prefer illusions to reality at every level of our common life, even though illusions can kill us. Why? Because indulging our illusions comforts us, especially when they're supported by a culture that says, let's pretend. Now, this sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? At times, I like to escape from this harsh and difficult world. I love Disney World. I, I know it's not real. That's part of the magic, isn't it? It's the happiest place on earth. We all escape into other worlds through uh, books, through art, maybe a television series or movies, through stars and athletes. The truth is, sometimes we need the escape, especially in this world. Now, we thought election years in the past were rough, but I think the one, this one's going to be harder. So how about them Cubs? A dab of illusion in an election year will probably keep families from fighting, right? And the truth is, our world is a very rough and tumble kind of place. <clears throat> full of insecurity, fear, pain, power, and greed. When these things rear its head, sometimes that truth, the real truth, gets distorted. And sometimes the only way to escape this harsh world is to live and create a life full of illusions. And that's when it can become real dangerous. We can become like the Apostle Peter, unable to face reality and unwilling to live into Christ's challenging call. In fact, Jesus might be rebuking us like Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. And as harsh as Christ sounds, he's the one who shares love, who helps others, and innocently suffered and died on a cross for all of us. Jesus calls us to follow him, to let go of the world's false illusions, and to instead live for more than just this world. When we follow a suffering Messiah, we will deny ourselves, we will take up the cross, be willing to lose our life for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> now, the illusions don't just happen out there in the world. It happens in the church, too. In her book, Freeing Jesus, Diana Butler Bass shares the experience of a moment of quiet prayer that she had inside the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. Uh, so many years ago. She was exhausted. And Bass lowered her head in an altar in one of the cathedral's chapels, and she utters a simple yet heartfelt prayer. Where are you, God? She says, I was restless as I gazed intently at the massive icon of Christ. Usually the image drew me deeper toward God, and the railing where I knelt was a place of awakening and wisdom. She asked again, Where are you, God? After a few moments of silence, Bass recounts hearing a voice say to her, Get me out of here! She looked around, 
Seeing no one, Bass became concerned. I know I heard the divine demand for freedom, she writes. She's not sure what to think. Of course, I did not want to tell the priest. I doubt the Washington National Cathedral would take kindly to the Son of God looking for the exit. Get me out of here. This confusing experience stayed with Bass for nearly a decade before statistics about changing patterns of belief in America began showing growing numbers of persons disaffiliating from the church. Millions have left the church behind, she muses. Probably many more have left emotionally, and countless others are wondering if they should. One of the most consistent things I hear from those who have left, those doubting their faith, those just hanging on, is that the church or Christianity has failed them, wounded them, betrayed them, or maybe just bored them. Even while exiting the building, however, some of those religious refugees seem to have heard the same voice I did at that altar, get me out of here. They're trying to free Jesus that he might roam in the world with them. Last year, I attended a conference that shared about the life cycle of churches, businesses. It's a basic kind of curve. It was intriguing. At the beginning of this life cycle, a church or a business, it grows and it grows. It does pretty good, right? Until eventually it plateaus. And after a while, it begins to decline. Of course, there's a few options to take once that decline begins. You've seen this before, I'm sure, in successful businesses, some who haven't been successful. When you're at that plateau, you can do the first thing. You can just ignore it. And your company or church might continue on a line of delusion. It's not real, but folks will stay there. You can revitalize and renew, redevelop, and it propels you to new growth. Some businesses, some churches keep that going. They revitalize, they renew, they regroup, they redevelop, and it propels to new growth. Now you can do nothing, but this likely leads you to further decline. To hospice, to death, you can also encourage innovative people like evangelists, missionaries, outside-the-box ministries. In the business world, it's like Apple's iPod or maybe Amazon's Alexa, Coca-Cola's Classic. A company and church can eventually transition while they're in that state of decline to this new innovation. And the life cycle begins. Again. Now, at the conference, they put this life cycle, they drew it out on the floor with tape. And they asked all the church pastors and church elders to stand where they felt that their church was on this life cycle. It was last year, right after COVID, when things weren't looking very good for most churches. It was interesting seeing where people stood. They're on all parts of the life cycle, but one that surprised me the most 
or how many people were standing on that line of delusion. They were ignoring reality, living in an illusion of a constant state of plateauing, is what they thought, until someone at a conference opened their eyes to this life cycle, that they might be in decline or hospice. Just like Peter, church leaders, we too might claim Jesus is the Messiah, but we just aren't able to see things as they truly are. We like to imagine things are fine, just like they've always been, but the reality might be that we're struggling. Maybe we're on the decline, maybe we're dying. Instead of admitting reality, we sometimes prefer illusion. Might not even realize that we're living on the line of delusion. So when we hear God telling us, get me out of here, we must listen. The church isn't the church building. It's so much more than that. In fact, our First Presbyterian Church mission statement tells us this, the church, more than a building, a living body, more than a body, a family of caring, concerned people growing together in the love and service of Christ. When I was young, new in the ministry, I had this vision of what the best pastor would be. One that equips the church so well that they don't need a pastor anymore. I mean, I'd be out of a job, but that is the ideal, right? For Jesus and the church. To live into being more than a body, living into being a family of caring and concerned people, growing together in the love and service of Christ, that would be quite a success. For the church to equip itself. Of course, I've never achieved this. And I know you'd want to keep me around, but if we let go of that need and desire, God's reality is much bigger than an illusion, for it would change the very way that we live in this world. And that's Christ's desire for us. To die to the self, to follow a suffering Messiah to the cross, following one who serves and loves, dies, and then truly lives. And when we do this, when we let go of the illusions and live into God's reality, that's when we will finally see things clearly. That's when our vision is restored, and that's when life truly begins. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you found this podcast inspirational and would like to support the First Love Ministry programs at First Presbyterian Church, please send any contributions to First Presbyterian Church at 870 West College, 
Jacksonville, Illinois. Our zip code is 62650. Our phone is 217-245-4189. You can contact our secretary there between the hours of 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. Our email is office at firstpresjax.org. That's office at F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-J-A-X dot O-R-G. Masks are now optional anywhere in the church. Our in-person church services start at 10 a.m. on Sunday. Access to our online church service starts at 9.55 a.m. You can listen to these live services on our Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash first, F-I-R-S-T, P-R-E-S, Jacks. You can join our Facebook group called First Presbyterians with a Purpose. We have a choir that meets from 7 to 8 p.m. every Thursday night, and we welcome all who are willing to sing. We look forward to hearing from you, either by email, mail, or phone. God bless, and may you have a peaceful and safe year.